Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 296, and part two of my conversation with recent graduate of the Mizzou Masters of Music and Percussion Performance, Stephen Landy. We'll get back to him shortly. We're in the midst of summer break, and it is amazing. I've had some time off and am feeling refreshed and ready to get back into some more continual work. Looking forward to the next couple of months for sure. I'll speak more about what I've been doing in the rave at the end. Stay tuned. But right now, let's get back to our conversation with Stephen Landy. If you caught last week's episode, which I hope you did, you'll know that Stephen and I got to know each other talking to each other this past time as much or more than we did the three years that he was doing his master's at Mizzou. In last week's episode, he talked a lot about his time working on his master's at Mizzou, as well as a good bit about his upbringing in Florida, some of his favorite pop music, and his former life as a guitarist. This week, we'll get the rest of Stephen's story. He'll talk about his undergrad years at the University of North Florida, studying under previous podcast guest Andrea Vinay, hear some more about his time at Mizzou, and our usual final segment, with discussions of TV shows, movies, books, and a particular performance involving a robe. Hook now? You better be. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on May 17th, 2022, and it begins right now. How do you know about and then end up at um, North Florida, right? That's where your undergrad is from? Yeah. Yeah. I first started just applying to schools. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know I was going to go into music, actually. At UNF, I applied for like this construction management or something program. That was like what I, that's what I applied with originally. Um, And I I think I did like a different thing in different schools because it just depended on what they had offered. Um, And uh, so I did UCF, USF, UNF, and FSU. And I had horrible grades in high school, so I didn't get into UCF or FSU, just in general. So I couldn't even audition there. Um, And so I had to – I auditioned at UNF and USF. And my old teacher, he he got a master's certificate, I think, from USF. So he had worked with the the guy who was there, Bob McCormick. He had worked with him quite a bit, and so I knew knew him pretty well. Um, he would judge like solo and ensemble sometimes too. So I kind of knew Bob McCormick pretty well and the USF program. I didn't know much about UNF. Uh, my old teacher, he had a single student from his, he would, he taught at Rollins College for a while. I don't think he still teaches there. I think he left, but he taught at a community college in Orlando as well. And that's where he knew this student, um, my friend Sean. And he went to UNF. And that was like all I knew about it was that there was some guy that he knew that I didn't know that had gone there and liked it. And that was all I knew. And so I went there and I auditioned and I auditioned for Charlotte Mabry and Kevin Gary. Those are the people that were there my first year. And Char was super cool. I didn't get to do private lessons with her that semester, unfortunately, because she was kind of taking less students. She was retiring that year. Um, But I got to work with her in percussion ensemble and stuff like that. That was super great. She was like one of the nicest people you'll ever meet is Charlotte Mabry. Um, and very, very good player, very good teacher. She was the principal percussionist at the JSO uh, before she retired. Um, and Kevin Gary also was member of the JSO, still is. Uh, he still teaches at UNF. Um, and he was my private teacher my first year. But yeah, so I, I really didn't know much about UNF. I just kind of applied there because I had the grades for it and that was it. Um, and then I just auditioned because that was one of the schools I got into. 
And so I was, I kind of just got super lucky with that situation. And then of course the next year, you know, Andrea Vene shows up and I'm kind of like, I know her from somewhere. <laughs> and then I like look it up and I'm like, escape 10. I know that. And I look it up online. I'm like, Oh crap. Oh crap. That's her. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be my professor. So at UNF, we had this music tech technology program, which I think is a great idea. I think every music school should have this. Um, it's going forward. It's such a good opportunity and such a good like chance to, to get used to a lot of different stuff. But everyone thought that that was my major for some reason. Like even the school, I think, thought that that was my major, which was super funny. I was performance, but I think a lot of people thought I was music tech. So like I got access to a lot of the, the doors that music mm -hmm. tech students got access to. And I yeah. was for like the re my remainder of my time being there. It was crazy cool. Yeah. And then I got to work with Dr. Andrew Denae and she has some of the craziest energy. I always remember her being on like, I think we called it her perch um, during percussion ensemble. Uh, we would be in like, like kind of our percussion storage area was like where we would rehearse. So we would be obviously on the ground and that, that point will come up important in a second. Um, <laughs> we were on the ground and then there was like these shelves that were kind of behind us. And um, she would sometimes just perch herself up there, like kind of above us and she'd be able to see everything, right? Cause she's, she's pretty short. And so this way she could like see everything, like all of her hands, all of the instruments, like everything. And so like, that was kind of like her perch, which I don't know if she still does this or not. I kind of hope so. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, she would, I just remember like, I forget what piece we were playing. It was this ginormous, like multi-percussion quartet they were playing. Um, and it was me, a couple of the grad students, and then my friend Baldwin, we were, we were playing on it. And uh, I just remember her being up in that perch, just like, like screeching at us sometimes, just like, no, no. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that's like one of my, my favorite memories. It's just like, just like me, because I, I think she was like behind me at that point. So like whenever she like would say something, I would always like jump. I'd be like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> I'd be like, was it me? Did I mess up? You know? <laughs> so yeah, it was always, it was always fun to rehearse in there. Yeah, she was really, really good. Like, I think it was funny because one of the grad students when I was there, Jeff, he was like, yeah, I had like two lessons with Andrea at this point, And I've already, I've become like twice as good at marimba, like in like one or two lessons, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, that's, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> I mean, a lot of my weird energy that I get when I play and perform, I think kind of comes from her is just because she would always, because I would always play so like shy and like, you know, just kind of go through the motions. She was like, no, you can't do that. You gotta, you gotta perform. Like it's a performance, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, she definitely helped me with a lot of that stuff too. Yeah. Very, very fond memories of undergrad. When you were learning under her, how much was she fully into the com composition portion of what she was doing? Not yet. Okay. Uh, so my first two years with her, which would be my sophomore and junior year, mm -hmm. uh, I don't think she had written very much at that point. I think she had written a couple of things, uh, maybe a handful of things, but not too much yet. My yeah. senior year, I think that was when she did her recital of nothing but her own music. Mm. I think that was the year that she did that, was my senior year. That was super cool. I think that was the first time I wasn't playing on her recital, most of the time I had been, I think my, my sophomore year, my junior year, I was on something with her, but that year I was not. Um, and so I actually got to like be in the audience and watch for the first time, which was super cool. And yeah, it was like all of her own music. And at that point, that was kind of like the turning point, I think was that year, my senior year was when she kind of started going into the whole composition side of things and start writing a lot more. And she definitely has written a lot since then. <laughs> And, and it's a good lot of, stuff. It's really good stuff. Yeah. 
I managed. I got to play Faded Lines, one of her pieces, um, like a snare drum, field drum, kick drum kind of duet. I got to play that with her on my senior recital, which was super cool. Because uh, it's not not often do you get to play with your professors. Um, I got to play with Dr. Arns on a piece on my recital last semester, which was also really fun. Um, so yeah, it's not super common that you get to play with your professors. So when you do get those opportunities, it's always, it's always great. Yeah. When you were at UNF, what were the ensemble requirements? And do they have a drum line? They do have a drum line, but we don't have a like marching band. Okay. So uh, we don't have a football team. <laughs> um, basketball was kind of like the main thing. Uh, there's actually, funny enough, I actually have a shirt that they sell at like the, the UNF store, and it's, it's UNF football, and then on the back it says undefeated because um, we've never played a game. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so obviously I had to get that shirt as soon as I saw it. I was like, I have to get this shirt. This is yeah. amazing. The drumline, that is actually like what the TA is. Um, I think it's a split TA. I think she usually has two TAs and they usually split that. that uh, um, that's kind of the requirement, though. I think the only reason for that is because they haven't started a TA for the percussion section. So it's kind of like those two TAs kind of split uh, the drumline slash percussion area TA. I only got to play with the drumline for a couple gigs that I was just covering because they didn't have like some, some of their people didn't, uh, couldn't do the gig. So I helped out a little bit with that every once in a while, but I, I wasn't like a full-time member of it. Most of the members of it were non-majors actually. Uh, very few percussion majors were part of the drumline. Um, and I think that was just, I, I think it kind of has changed now. Um, I'm not too sure, but I think it's probably changed a little bit now. Um, but while I was there, most of them were, you know, some music tech people were a part of it because uh, they like dumb drumline in high school and we're super into it still so other than that uh, a lot of the requirements are pretty similar to the zoo uh, you have to have large ensemble stuff at unf we had a pretty big jazz program um i didn't really spend a whole lot of time with it unfortunately i kind of regret that a little bit uh but uh, we had a pretty big jazz program and so it kind of was separated in those two categories right you had to have the jazz program and like the classical side uh so that was there's not a lot of crossing over really which is unfortunate in some ways um but obviously so the jazz side they had like like three or four big bands they had a lot of big bands and those were kind of like their large ensembles and then of course you had the the wind band i think the symphonic band and then orchestra and then they had the non-major which was like uh I think it, they just called it the UNF Concert Band or something like that. Yeah, I played with the Wind Ensemble a lot, and I played with the orchestra a lot. Uh, I don't remember exactly how many times, but yeah, so you always had to do that. And then we had Percussion Ensemble, and it was very similar to here if you're, um, I think, Dr. Vinay, I think, required it for any performance major. I think she might have also required it for ed majors too. I don't remember. Forget if Dr. Arnes requires it for ed majors. I don't think she does. It's pretty similar. Um, and then outside of that, uh, they do have a new music ensemble now. I don't remember. I don't know exactly how it works because uh, my senior year was the first time they put it together. And at that point, it was just whoever wanted to do it, they would do it. Uh, and it was almost like, you know, they, you would just have contemporary music that your, whatever area you were in was performing for other things. And then you just kind of put it on this, on this new music, uh, concert as well. I got to play Spine on that, which was cool. Uh, I got to play Spine again here. And funny enough, I played the same part, hmm. uh, I was kind of like 
I didn't say anything because I, I wanted to see if I would get the same part. Um, and so, like, it was, I think, our first or second rehearsal that Dr. Orange was like, she's like, oh, you've played this before? And I was like, yeah. She's like, which part did you, did you play the, because Dr. Orange played the main part. She's like, did you play the main part? And I was like, no, I actually played this part. <laughs> she's like, oh, crap, really? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you want to play a different part? I was like, no, no, this is fine. I like this part. <laughs> um, <laughs> I already know it, right? That made it a little bit easier. Um, it was really funny. I think the first, because that piece is super hard, lots of subdividing and stuff. So the first rehearsal, um, there was a lot of, you know, mistakes because hard piece. And funny enough, I think uh, Jordan, like, kept looking at me. And he was like, dude, how do you, how are you doing this so well? <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, how how do you know this? So he was like, how long did you practice this? And I was just like, two years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I was like, yeah, two years, you know, <laughs> kept it up. Um, but, but yeah, uh, I was like, I was like, yeah, I, I've played it before. Yeah. He was like, Oh crap. Really? I was like, yeah. He's like that part. And I was like, yeah. He's like, like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was super funny. Nice. Uh, super fun piece, though. Yeah. It it kicked my butt a lot when I first mm. played it. I was really bad at it. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, like, right during, like, grad auditions, too. So, mm. like, I had to learn that piece while also doing grad auditions. So I was definitely lacking a lot in those rehearsals, and I... I kind of regret it in some ways, but of course it made me learn it better. And when I played it here, so that was, I got a, I got a second try at it, which is nice. So yeah, that, that's kind of, I think since then, I don't know exactly how they do it now, but I would assume it's probably somewhat similar. It might be a little bit more players or more regular players, um, as opposed to like kind of just anybody can join in. Um, I would assume they kind of have pretty standard amount of players and rep and stuff. But uh, Dr. Vinay is one of the people. Dr. Vinay and um, uh, the new wind ensemble conductor, those two are kind of the people that lead the charge on that. I think they call it like the new mix ensemble or something. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty cool. I see. I see some of their like videos and stuff online, social media and stuff. So yeah, I got some cool stuff for sure. So how is it that you both know about and decide to come to Mizzou? How I found out about Mizzou was a friend of mine, Baldwin. He mm -hmm. auditioned here the year I remember prior. Baldwin. Yeah. Yeah. He auditioned the year prior and um, he was offered a position, but not – TA position. Um, I think, I think that was the year Clayton came. I think that was right. Clayton's first year. Uh, so Clayton was offered the TA, and then he was offered a position as just a regular grad student. And he was like, "Oh, I can't really do it without money." He decided to just do another year at UNF to get a certificate. Um, so he just stuck around, practice a whole bunch. And me and him actually auditioned at almost all of the same places, which is really funny. We didn't really plan for that. Um, the only place that I knew that he was auditioning for originally was Mizzou. Um, and then we ended up both deciding on, I think, South Carolina, Nebraska, uh, Tennessee. And then I auditioned at USF and he auditioned at Baylor, I think. So we, what we ended up doing was just drove up together, did the same days. We would fly out. We flew out here. Yeah, it was it was me, Baldwin, and my dad came along because he was like, I need a break from work. Um, so he was like, I'm coming with you guys. And so uh, he so we came out here and we flew out here and we did um, our audition here. And then we drove over and we did an audition in Nebraska uh, like the next day. Um, so that was super cool. But yeah, that was how I found out about it originally. Of course, Dr. Vinay and Dr. Arns are very good friends. I got a lot of information from Dr. Vinay as well. Um, I think the Eastman connection is there. Yeah. How they know yeah. each other. Yeah. It was kind of like came into Dr. Vinay's office and she was like, okay, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I was like, I don't know. She was like, you're going to grad school. And I was like, 
okay. And <laughs> so then I was like, crap. You know, I left the office and I was like, crap. I'm going to grad school? What? I'm like, how did I even get into college? You know, like that's what I was thinking. I was like, how did I even get into college? How did I get to this point? You know, and I was like, how am I going to go to grad school? That was where I was talking to Baldwin about it because I knew he was, uh, he auditioned um, the year prior. I think he also like was in a similar boat the year prior. He was just like, I'm going to grad school? What? <laughs> um, Dr. Vinay was huge, hugely adamant on doing that. Mostly, mostly for just expanding horizons, getting new experiences, stuff like that. Baldwin, I think, only auditioned at Mizzou the year prior. And then the next year, that was when he kind of put together a list of places he would audition. And funny enough, my options uh, were Mizzou and USF. So once again, I had the option to go to USF. And funny enough, I chose not to. I don't know why. But... uh, I don't know why it keeps coming to this, but yeah, I got offered, I think the drumline TA at USF um, and then new music, new music stuff came up here um, a little bit later. And so that's when I was just like, okay, I'll do the new music thing, which was a little bit scary. I was very intimidated. Um, I didn't really know what to expect. And then I came into it and I found out percussion is already very new music. You know, we already do a lot of weird stuff in percussion, yeah. so it's actually not that much different for us. It's actually much weirder for, like, wind string players. Like, yeah. they get very intimidated by it. Pianists, too. Like, piano players have to deal with a lot when it comes to that stuff. Um, so that was that's why we kind of have the two piano players now in the music ensemble, because originally it was just one... And originally it was just one percussionist and Dr. Farn was like, there's so much percussion gear. There's no way one person can move all of this by themselves. Yeah. So, you know, he was like, we'll have two, we'll have more percussion stuff. It'll be cool. And then now it's like, there is no way a single piano player can play all of this rep because the piano parts are always the hardest. Yeah. What was your uh, welcome to Missouri moment like i'm definitely in a new place funny enough this is gonna make me it's gonna make me seem like an alcoholic but um (laughs) okay (laughs) it's actually it's actually the uh the the fact that they they sell i went to a gas station and they they have all these like liquor and wine bottles Mm -hmm. just right on the shelves and they have like you know 40 uh the 40 fluid ounces of of beer Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a thing in Florida. Um, and then like 30 packs of beer, like instead of 24 cases, uh-huh. cause I remember in undergrad, it was like 24. It was like, that was what you got. Yeah. yeah. 30. I was like, what? This is like so much more bulk of alcohol. And I was just like, oh, they really love it here. That's, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it was, it was the, the liquor in, in gas stations was the main thing. So I was, I didn't really understand how that worked because, like, you're legally not allowed to do that in Florida. Like, right. Just, just how it, um, is it in? Uh, it's in like liquor, like ABC stores, right? Yeah. Or is it in? Yeah, like okay. any sort of any sort of liquor stores, it's totally fine. It's yeah. just like gas stations could only sell beer, and that was mm. basically it. Yeah. Um, I don't even think they sold wine in gas stations. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like it was like total wines were like the thing, you know? They would always. Mm. Uh, like you would always go to Total Wine, and that was like the most amazing thing because it was like, this whole big superstore. Yeah, and I was like, wow, there's so many options. You know, right. Like, meanwhile, I'm just over here, like I'll just drink a Bud Light, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then you go there, and you're like, wow, what is this? But yeah, that was definitely the first thing. Like, that was the first. Like, I think it was my first night or two, like second night here. I went to the gas station, and I think I was just like, grabbing snacks or something. And I walked in, and I was just like. Is that is that a bottle of whiskey <laughs> right there? Just vodka bottles? Like I was like, what? Yeah. What? How? I was like, how are they allowed to? What? And then I started immediately when I got into the car. I started looking up like liquor laws in Missouri, and I was like, wow, this is fascinating. Um, it's funny enough, like it's so weird because uh, they have all of that, 
mm-hmm. but then like bars close at one thirty, which right. is I think half an hour or an hour shorter than Florida. And then also like the whole like can't sell alcohol on midnight in Sundays. That was mm-hmm. also really weird because that wasn't a thing in Florida either. Because um, it was just every day was two two o'clock, um, mm-hmm. two a.m. was was the time. So uh, it was always funny because like you have all this alcohol on the shelves in the, the gas station, but you're not allowed to sell it. You're only allowed to sell it within a shorter time frame than Florida. Uh, but yeah, that was that was one of my main things. It was just like it was like, oh crap, they love they love this stuff. Um, <laughs> so when you start taking lessons with Dr. Arns, what are the areas that she sees that you need to, or you felt like you needed to kind of either catch up or just get more experience in? That is a good question. I think for me, my whole goal has been from the very start to like just get a good understanding of as many percussion instruments as I can. Uh, I never really went into the specialist route. Uh, I would definitely say I'm much more of a drummer than I am a mallet player Mm. uh, for sure. But I don't think I've ever really gotten to the point where I was like specifically one instrument. Like I, I don't, I never got to the point where I was like, I want to be a marimbist or I want to be a drum set player. Right. I never reached that point. I was always kind of in this realm of like, I want to be really good at as many percussion instruments as I possibly can. Right. Um, and so that was something that I kind of came here. That was like the first, one of the first things that Dr. Arnes asked me, she was like, okay, well, what do you want to work on while you're here? You know? And I was like, well, that's a good question, but I think I just want to continue getting better at as much as I can. You know, every once in a while I would come in with something that was just like, I like to work on this or I do work on this, right? Um, I think my first thing when I came here was multi-percussion solos. I hadn't done a lot of that. So that was when I first started learning Raybons. Um, and I think funny enough, I think Emily also did a similar thing. Mm-hmm. I think Emily was also like, I haven't played a lot of multi-percussion solos. I want to play more of that. So uh, I think she started learning side by side. And mm-hmm. I started learning Raybonds. And um, so that was like the first thing. And Raybonds kicked my butt for like that entire semester. But I really, really liked that piece. That is like mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. And like when Jeremiah played it, it was funny because he kept asking me um, about like certain things that I would do. And I was like, dude, that was three years ago, man. I don't remember. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. I'd have to like, you know, get in front of the piece to remember really. But I, the funniest part about that was he uh, he asked me what bass drum I used, and mm-hmm. I was just like, I don't remember because we have we have that blonde bass drum and then we have the the pearl fill mm-hmm. bass drum, and uh, I was like, it wasn't the blonde bass drum, I know that for sure. And I was like thinking about it, and I was like, it wasn't that crappy bass drum we have in the back either. Like we didn't, I didn't have, to have I didn't have to put on the legs, you know. Um, so I was thinking about the the pearl fill, and I was like. I definitely had it tilted, but I don't remember. I don't think it was the pearl fill. And then for uh, the state thing um, that we did just like a week or two ago, we brought out that that like uh, <clears throat> I don't know how to describe the color really, but that other we have like a fourth bass drum that I totally forgot about, but that was the bass drum that was in Doctor Arnold's office at that time in Loeb. And that was the bass drum I used. And that was like, it just clicked with me right after I saw it. I was like, oh crap, that was the bass drum I used. Um, I was like, where has it been this whole time? But yeah, it's just been in the storage on the fourth floor, which is weird. But yeah, I completely forgot about it. That was something that I I like ran up to Jeremiah. I was like, hey, that's the bass drum. That's the one I used. (laughs) He was like, well, it's too late. I've already played my recital. (laughs) But... But yeah, so that was that was the first thing I think uh, that I was concerned about when I first got here was multi-percussion solos. I hadn't done a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, I've done a lot of multi-percussion stuff through New Music Ensemble, through Raybon's My Piece, um, other stuff like that. So uh, really glad that I got a lot of that experience. I think multi-percussion is one of my favorite things about percussion is that that's where I feel the most like a percussionist, I think, because that's when you're doing the most things. 
right? I had a lesson with Troy for drum set, actually. And we were working on... I came to him with a, uh, a Bossa Nova tune. Um, and I was playing it with the Hit Street Harmony people. And I knew going into it, I was like, I'm going to need to play really quiet for this whole concert, right? Because I'm no. playing with vocalists. They don't have a lot of mics. You know, they don't like to use a lot of mics um, for it. So I'm going to have to play really quiet. And I knew this from playing with them before, but I came to him and I was like, hey, so I have to do this bossa nova and I have to do it really quiet. How do I, how should I go about that? You know, he's like, well, first off, you want to start with brushes. And I was like, okay, I got, okay, I understand that. That makes sense. But then he started showing me like all these different ways of like how you can orchestrate the different parts of a bossa nova mm-hmm. on a drum set just with brushes. So I started doing like, doing the triangle on the hi-hat bell um, with, like, the back of the brushes, doing, like, shaker sounds and snare drum with the brushes, you know, and just kind of learning how to orchestrate kind of a percussion section onto the drum set. And that was something that I spent a lot of time specifically this semester doing was a lot of, like, Latin percussion stuff on drum set and kind of learning how to, like, where it comes from and then how to orchestrate it on a drum set what to add, what to not add in certain situations. Um, and that was another time where I felt a lot like a percussionist, which is funny because, you know, it's drum set, so you always think that's a drummer, right? right. Um, but because of all the different ways that I was learning to orchestrate things on drum set made me feel a lot more like a percussionist too. And drum set is just multi-percussion in itself too, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm always every time I I, I think you may you might feel the same way that any time that you get to play Latin American stuff on drum set you're just like why am I not doing this all the time this is so much fun <laughs> it's hard but it's so much fun yeah it's it's like once you get it you're like this is awesome yeah um, it's just what, my, it, like my it. left foot works my left foot is yeah. actually <laughs> yeah. abused now yeah yeah <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of coordination. A lot of independence. He he turned me on to Isaac Jamba, a Brazilian player. I think I think he's in Miami. Uh, okay. I think that's where he where he told me he's from. But yeah, he, he showed me like a lot of his like Instagram videos and stuff and I was just like, okay, I need to I need to follow this guy. I need to watch his stuff. So I started watching a lot of his stuff and it's it's crazy cool. I have a friend uh uh, Luis, he's. Uh, I think he went to he went to Miami. I think he graduated this semester too. Yeah, um, he's a drum set player in, in UNF. He's fantastic, fantastic drum set player. He does a lot of Latin stuff and mm-hmm. very very good at it. Uh, so yeah, every time I heard him play, I was like, this is insanely cool. Well, I f- I finished up with a segment called Random Ask Questions. First question: uh, What's an issue? in percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts? Probably education based. Okay. And it would be, I think it'd have to be just the not enough emphasis on percussion ensemble. I think within the Hmm. high school and middle school levels, I think uh, in certain areas, it's very good in other areas. It's not so good. I think it's mostly due to the fact that we put a lot of emphasis on marching band and I don't want to take away from marching band because I really like it and I really want there to be that because I think rudiments are very important. I think rudimental drumming is super big. Just not enough emphasis on percussion ensemble and kind of concert percussion, I think, in, in specifically middle school and high school levels. Uh, as a related question, because I, you're kind of speaking to something that's specific to, you know, teaching in the, in the kind of the high school and middle school level, what what's what's a thing that amongst the people that you are doing you've done your masters with here, uh, and that could be in the percussion or it could be new music or other ensembles. When you've all talked to each other, do you are find like is is a really uh, kind of either a critical topic or something that kind of comes up a lot amongst that group? Yeah, I would say rehearsal etiquette comes up a lot. Interesting. Okay. Uh, which it's just, you know, we always have everybody's different and everybody has different 
ideas of how a rehearsal should go, I think. Mm -hmm. And so uh, um, because of that, we get a lot of different experiences. And so when we see one that we don't necessarily like too much, some of us get really heated, um, which is sometimes me, sometimes me, not, not always, <laughs> but usually, usually not. But, uh-huh. uh, but, you know, we'll get a little bit heated and a little bit frustrated because we feel like we might not be getting done what we could be getting done. And then also like sometimes people just, say stuff in rehearsals and it gets really awkward you know mm. um that was something that i i i watched when i, I bringing up the get back thing sure. again um watching that and watching the way they would rehearse and run rehearsals and practice and stuff like that i was like having weird flashbacks you know um because a lot of that stuff happens there's a lot of awkward moments where people get up and just leave or mm. like scream like yelling um a lot of weird awkward moments where people don't really know what to do everyone's Mm -hmm. too quiet you know like nobody really knows what the next section should be uh but yeah there's a lot of a lot of times i mean rehearsals they're very important they're very you know it's very important to be uh time sensitive with them because there's so many people involved. Right. And I think, uh, that's always a topic that comes up, I think, um, because that's something that crosses any genre, right. Every genre of music, every form of music is going to have some form of rehearsal, you know, before a gig. And so finding the best ways to run those rehearsals and the most efficient and the most kind ways, right. Uh, is always the goal, but the goal is always not always met. Um, unfortunately, yeah. it just depends on different situations. But yeah, I think that's something that that's a topic that gets brought up a lot. I feel. Yeah, I what I was thinking towards is if something if some like enduring a, a rehearsal, if something comes up, if someone says something where it's it's clearly like a personal attack and not a music thing? Is that some of like the, what? (laughs) It happens. happens. Believe it or not, it happens. And it's, it's crazy, unfortunate, but yeah, it does. And I, I, I never really understood it. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes, I mean, there's even moments where it is a musical thing, but people take it as a personal attack you know and that's always awkward too uh which is why i typically when i'm in rehearsals i usually take more of a backseat approach i'm usually you know i don't necessarily let uh i don't necessarily run the rehearsal right away because usually when it i'll have to see like if everybody else is being shy about it then i'll be like okay let's go like that's this is what we should do but uh usually i take a backseat approach just because you know um i think it's a little bit easier to to stay away from any drama that could be could be caused by yeah. things like that, but uh, I think it's just important to be as clear and as nice about it as you can be. I mean, it's everybody plays music and hears music differently, you know, and that's something that's very important to like remember. Um, so everything's gonna be a little bit different than what you expect. And yeah. if you get too bogged down with the details, then it's just going to be weird and not as effective as, you know, you may have hoped. But I think if yeah. you keep an open mind, that's kind of the main thing. Yeah. Period. All right. Next question. What's your favorite Led Zeppelin song? Ooh, that is such a good question. Um, there's so many. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't want to be cliche, but I would say it's probably it'd have to be Stairway to Heaven. I mean, I don't want to be cliche about it, but it'd have to be. I mean, <laughs> there's an interview with Robert Plant about it, and Robert Plant is not a huge fan of that song anymore. Yeah, just because yeah. of how 
often it's been played and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But uh, somebody asked him about the meaning behind it. He was just like, well, I don't know. It changes, right? It changes every time he, he, he listened to it or heard it. Um, the meaning would change. And I think that's probably my favorite part about it is that it's very similar for me. The meaning of that tune always changes. And um, that's kind of the, the best part about it for me. Every every other Led Zeppelin chart doesn't really do the same thing. If I had to pick a second one, though, mm-hmm. it probably would be Fool in the Rain. I really like Fool in oh, the Rain. That's a good tune. That was one of my first like obsessions on drum set. I think it's oh. a lot of people's obsessions on drum set. But yeah, that, that shuffle is freaking sweet. <laughs> it's so good. It's yeah. so good. Like, I got obsessed over it. I got really obsessed over it in undergrad, but I was mm-hmm. obsessed with it before then. Um, but in undergrad, I got obsessed over it because I sucked at shuffles. I was so <laughs> bad at playing shuffles on drum set. Um, and so Kevin Gary was like, you have to, you have to get better at this. So he just gave me a bunch of tunes to listen to in practice. I'm like, you know, Rosanna. Oh, that was like, that's the, the other one. <laughs> yeah. Like Rosanna was a big one. He was just like, yeah. you gotta, you gotta do it. And so I just like, just started jamming out to like fool in the rain Rosanna and like all these shuffle tunes. And, um, that was how I got much better at playing shuffles since then. So, uh, shuffle, shuffle charts are like some of my favorite now, which is yeah. very funny how, how it kind of became that yeah. after, after me struggling for so long. With them. <laughs> but yeah, Those I would are... say, I would say probably stay away to heaven, but fool in the rain is, Definitely a close second. Very close second. Those are those are great charts. The, my two of my favorite drum fills of all time are the two that follow the, the Latin breakdown. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Just oh, they're so perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Anyway, I knew you knew them, but I just decided to vocalize them. So yeah. <laughs> it's important. It's important. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So some other questions. Um, has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do it? Yes. Several times. Oh, several times. Um, I do not remember the details of all of them. though. Okay. I would say the number one thing that I would say is my, my biggest criteria for a perfect impression of me is just, if you say something that I have said one, like, 100 percent um definitely definitely you're gonna get a lot of points for that if you just say something that i say all the time um like for example uh i guess my my parents this is a weird interaction i guess my parents and emily had after my recital this semester um i guess my my family was making fun of the way i uh i oftentimes will say wait what in like a very, <laughs> very like, you know, because I'll, I'll just be distracted, you know, um, my attention span is not the greatest. Uh, but um, so like somebody will like say something and I'll be like, wait, what? And that was, I guess, what they were talking about. And um, Emily did a pretty good impression of it. Uh, nice. But yeah. And then my whole family can do a fantastic impression of it, too. <laughs> but Yeah. That 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 is the most recent memory, but there's been a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I say dude a lot, way too much. I say dude. Uh, yeah, I like think. like dude, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just like I'll say something, you know, dude, and it'll, just, <laughs> it'll just be something like that. Recently, somebody got on me. It was like, why is it always dude? Like, what? Why do you always say dude? Um, I don't know. Yeah. It just happens. Uh, nice. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things to watch on YouTube is Harry Marie. He's he's like the dude on on YouTube for drum set and stuff like oh. that. He also always says dude. Uh, but yeah, I didn't get it from him, but I appreciate that he has a similar situation to me when it comes to saying dude a lot. Uh, <laughs> Awesome. But yeah. Nice. What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? One hundred percent. It is this like 
I don't even know how to describe it. Um, uh, this actually goes along with a pretty funny story um, of my undergrad. Unfortunate circumstances, but kind of like a robe thing. Okay. Um, and it's from this anime, Naruto, that I am obsessed with and a lot of my friends are obsessed with, you know, uh, kind of a show I grew up watching and um, kind of, I think, finished when I was an undergrad, which is wild. You know, I remember watching it as a kid, and like, you know, watching it all in undergrad. And uh, my roommate had this cloak from one of the characters and he just like gave it to me for some reason. He was like, I don't want it anymore. Here you go. And so I, I got it from him. And um, I told like a bunch of people in the studio, like a bunch of people in the undergrad studio like, at that time were, were also super big fans. And so I told them and they were just like, oh, dude, you have that? And I think it was Baldwin. <laughs> I think he was the one who told me I was playing in studio class one day. And he was just like, dude, you gotta, you gotta wear it when you play. <laughs> And I was just like, I was like, no, Dr. Fang is going to get so mad. And he was like, you have to do it. So I played Bach. <laughs> with the cloak? With with the cloak on. Oh, my goodness. And Dr. Fang got very angry. <laughs> he was not happy about it. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, and it was it was really rough. I just, like, walked. It was funny because we didn't. I think only like a couple people in the studio knew that I was going to do it. Yeah. So what happened was like before I, I had to play, I was just like, hey, I need to go to the restroom real quick. And then I timed it to where as soon as they were like, okay, Stephen, you need to play. I walked through the door and I'm just like, you know, outfit change, just ready to go. <laughs> and I played all of Buck. Not Are people just great. cracking up just the whole yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, like it was not a great performance because it was just so not serious. And that yeah. was that was Dr. Vinny's whole point. No, yeah, yeah. It's perfect point. She was yeah. totally right. It was still it was still really funny. Yeah, very unfortunate that <laughs> <laughs> that uh yeah, I got I got yelled at pretty bad. Um yeah. she was not happy. Uh, she was like, You can't play Bach if you're gonna do this. <laughs> It's a serious piece of music, you know? And I was like, I know, I know, I know. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. That is by far, I think, the, the most ridiculous item of clothing I own. That's good. That's Pretty that's sure. a good st- story. <laughs> you know, related question, um, and this may, this may kind of fall right into this, but uh, if you were to meet, what's something that in pop culture or some other obscure thing, but if you meet someone... And they say, I like blank, whatever that is. And you immediately are like, we're good. Yeah, that it, would, it would definitely be anime. I okay. am a huge anime fan. I've watched so many. Um, there are so many people that I've just became instant friends with because they were like, and it's always weird because uh, with anime, um, it's it's weird because for so long when I was growing up, it was always like you were like the weird kid if you were into anime, you mm-hmm. know. And it was like this weird vibe. And nowadays, I see like so many people like that are just like we're like closeted anime fans, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have like uh, a stick. Maybe they'll have like a sticker of a of a yeah. show or something, and you're yeah. just like, oh, there it is. A sticker. Like, I mean, I have socks. <laughs> you know, I always have these like weird socks on. So like, yeah, I have like anime socks and stuff. Um, but yeah, they'll have like stickers on their car, like you know, uh, like on a like, like a keychain on their backpack or something. And I'll just either that or it'll just come up in conversation, you know. And it's always funny because like when it comes up in conversation, it'll be like they'll be so shy about it. They'll be like, "Well, you know, I'm into this," and like, yeah. and it's like, just say it, you know, just say it. Like, take pride in it, you know. It's something you're interested in, right? Um, I feel like I feel like it was kind of a similar thing, probably. And of course, I wasn't alive for this, but. I feel like it might have been a similar thing for like Star Trek and Star Wars fans back, you know, back in the day, like 70s, 80s, um, just because like that was like the nerdy thing. Right. So like people would probably make fun of them for being into it. But nowadays you see Star Trek, Star Wars fans, they're everywhere. Right. right. It's a great series. It's super fun. Um, so it's always funny to me to, to think about that, because when I was growing up, it was always weird. But nowadays it's like so common. There's so many people. But yeah, that's definitely something that I can definitely talk to people about right away 
at least outside of percussionists. I find out they're a percussionist, then I can obviously talk to them about that too. But, um, it's just, yeah, it's kind of those things. This is where my, uh, I don't know enough, but is this more of a, uh, like a comic book item or is this more about movies, TV shows, or is, is it yeah, like both uh, worlds? It's kind of both, actually. Yeah. So anime specifically is, of course, Japanese animation. Um, and it's just kind of mostly TV shows, movies, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, mostly TV shows, uh, though there are a lot of movies. Um, lot, lots and lots of anime movies. A lot of what these shows come from is from mangas, which is yeah. kind of the, the comic book series. So... Uh, it kind of starts off with like light novels, comic books and stuff like that. And then it kind of turns into animation. So kind of both. I mean, there's a lot of people that are like, it's, it's always funny. Cause there's like these elitist ideas of like, what's the best, you know, do you watch in, in English dub version? Do you watch in subtitles? Do you what? do you read the manga? Do you read the light novel? You know, it's all that like crazy stuff, but it's, it's always funny. I always see those, those like conversations and arguments online. At the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't really matter. We're all fans of these these series, and um, that's kind of the main thing. It's all for entertainment, right? So it's it's all just for fun. Um, and that's something that I always think about with music too. Is like I feel like a lot of times we lose that we get so bogged down with like the uh, the kind of details and the nitty gritty of like how good are you as a player? You know, how good are you as a musician? Um, that we kind of forget why we became musicians in the first place you know it's because we enjoy it right Mm -hmm. we none of us were like we want to be the best and that's like the first thing that we thought about i feel like the first thing we always thought about was like hey that was a cool chord progression you know or hey that was a cool melody we really like that was a cool drum beat you know um we kind of like came to enjoy music first and then we came to like try and become the best at it right yeah so um, that's kind of a thing that I always try. I always have to remind myself of that too, you know. Um, it's just like it doesn't matter as long as we're having fun and people who are listening to our stuff is having fun, you know. Um, yeah. Of course, playing all the right notes is fun. Sure. <laughs> Do that too, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I gotcha. Now, uh, growing up in Florida, do you have a sports fandom? Sort of. Um, I say sort of because I haven't, since I've done music stuff, it's been hard to really uh, kind of keep up with it all. And that's something my, my brother and my dad, they're obsessed with sports and, you know, they watch this stuff all the time, especially my brother. And so they'll always make fun of me. They'll be like, you're not a real fan. And I'm just like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, like, okay, you may be right. But uh, weirdly enough, um, Growing up, it was uh, it was always baseball, basketball, and football were like mm-hmm. the three things that we always watched uh, growing up. Um, and I was a big NASCAR fan growing up too, uh, but I kind of that kind of dropped out um, pretty quickly. Uh, though I did get to go to the the Daytona 500 once. That was Ooh. really fun. My my cousin and her uh, husband. I think at the time her fiance, but yeah, they, they took me and my sister. Uh, we went over there. It was super cool. Very, very loud. Very loud. The uh, baseball was funny enough. The Yankees, my dad grew up in yes. New York. He was, uh, he grew up in the Bronx. Um, so that was something. Good choice that, there. I kind of took, yeah, that was something I kind of took from that. My brother's obsessed with the Yankees. Um, the magic, the Orlando magic, because mm-hmm. uh, I, lived not that far away from them and uh that was kind of the main um team that was there and they've had their ups and downs tracy mcgrady dwight howard right mostly downs actually mostly downs especially now you know it's been great but uh and that's the most unfortunate part is my my last one for football has been the dolphins so uh oh that one's been pretty much exclusively downs um yeah so uh the worst part is it's never like it's always like we're never bad enough to get good draft picks. Yeah, you know, we're never good enough to make it. 
you know, the playoffs. It's like that weird middle ground where we live and we're stuck because yeah, yeah, mediocre. You'd yeah. rather be just out terrible. Always, I know. I'd rather just be <laughs> horrible one season and then get great draft picks so that we can yep. get better the next season. You know, um, but yeah, it's just never never worked out that way. It's it's always been that mediocrely bad situation, which is the worst. Um, so like that might be part of the reason why I never really tried to keep up with it once I got busier in, in music and stuff was just <laughs> it was always a bit of a bit of upsetting you know yeah. nature to it. But yeah, uh, with the exception of the Yankees, the Yankees always done always have done very well. So yeah, uh, I don't I don't even know how many titles they have now. I think twenty seven or something. I think that's right. Some somewhere up there. Yeah, it's, it's insane. So those would probably be my picks. Good picks. Except for the Dolphins. I'm, I'm a Jets fan. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I can't. yeah, I understand that. <laughs> right. um, all right. Uh, what's a favorite book? A couple more. It's going to be weird because they're so like old school classics, but like uh, I have to pick either Great Gatsby or Of Mice and Men. Mm. I remember very fondly reading those books and like, I think I read The Great Gatsby in middle school first, and then I read it again in high school. And I read Of Mice and Men in high school. And um, I was, like, kind of obsessed with those because, like, they were just... Weirdly, like, I was required to read them, mm-hmm. but I enjoyed them a lot, which was weird because most of the time I, I did not enjoy the books that I was required to read. Sure. Um, like, I remember I remember reading The Catcher in the Rye, and I, I think my brother and my sister, I think, are just, like, really enjoyed it i did not i did not like that book at all um yeah. i don't really know what it was but i did not enjoy it uh but i was obsessed with great gatsby in in the uh of mice and men i don't know which one i would pick more but sure i really enjoyed i really enjoyed them and watching the movies was really fun too we, mm-hmm. that was something that one of my, my english teachers did it was like after we read the book she let us watch the movie one mm-hmm. couple classes i was like yes <laughs> you know, yeah we get a break so yeah was, that was always fun the I, I i will i don't even know if i've read of mice and men but um i've read other steinbeck but um but the interesting thing with uh with great gatsby is that's a great one to revisit to continuously revisit because you're when you as you age like there's a lot more relatability Oh yeah. I don't think I got it when I was younger, but I read it when I was in my thirties. So I was like, okay, like I, these, these people are now like people I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, yeah, I read it when I was in middle school and I was just like, I don't really get it. And then I read it again in high school and I was like, okay, I kind of get it. And then, you know, I haven't reread it yet, but I probably should. I'm reaching that point where I probably should reread it. Um, yeah. But and it's it's not super long either. That's the nice thing. Right. It's, it's it's pretty easy to consume. Um, so yeah, I, I'm definitely gonna need to reread it at some point because I definitely feel like I could absolutely relate to it way more now. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Stephen, last question: What one piece of art could be? Music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art poetry, anything, has impacted you the most recently? I'd have to go with movies and TV shows, just okay. in general. I okay. watch way too much movies and TV shows. Any specific, any particulars? Sort of, yeah. So with my piece, uh, it was all like nostalgic-based, mm-hmm. just kind of me just growing up. So a lot of this stuff was inspired by movies and TV shows that I was obsessed with as a kid mm-hmm. uh in video games too like i think the beginning is kind of uh, i have that like 8-bit sound um mm-hmm. and that's totally from my time just playing a lot of pokemon growing up i was obsessed with pokemon i still like pokemon now but um i was obsessed with it as a kid and yeah i think i think there's like a whole section in there where i i kind of um have a i think a pirates of the caribbean kind of mm-hmm. theme to it and that was another one of my obsessions growing up was Pirates of the Caribbean. I loved it. Um, they made pirates really cool. And I, I, since then, I've been obsessed with pirates and, like, the history of pirates. Like, I, I did so much, like, weird research uh, 
like one day I was just like bored and I just watched a bunch of YouTube videos, read a bunch of articles and stuff, and learned way too much about pirates. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I have a lot of fun facts about pirates now, which is good. But definitely Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Star Wars is, is like one of my favorite series probably ever. Um, I love that universe. I've read a bunch of the comics, like watched almost all of the movies. I actually haven't seen episode nine and have not seen episode nine yet. Mm. I don't know why. I, I just didn't. I just haven't watched it. Okay. I've heard so much about it. I like. I feel like I've already watched it at this point because I've heard so much about it, but mm. I just haven't actually watched it myself. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I still need to get caught up on all the, the new shows. There's so many Disney Plus shows now. Um, but Mandalorian was really good. Uh, but yeah, I would say probably Star Wars, Pirates of the Caribbean, those stuff, probably my biggest inspiration. I love the sci-fi genre. I love the pirates and kind of even fantasy stuff like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. I'm super obsessed with too. So uh, I love, plus, I mean, such good film scores. Oh, movies. sure. You know, it's so good. Um, so, yeah. What were the TV shows? Oh, a lot of TV shows. I mean, I feel like most of my humor comes from uh, from things like Seinfeld and SpongeBob and and like Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> that was something that me and Kevin Gary would always bond over. Like whenever mm-hmm. I would show up to his lessons, it would always be like, "You see the new episode?" I'd be like, "Not yet, not yet. Don't spoil it." <laughs> Um, or I'd be like, yeah, that was crazy. You know, uh, that was something we bonded over a lot. Um, and I think, I think, uh, I think he mentioned that the JSO, like the percussion section of the JSO would, would, uh, would like have hangouts and watch always sunny sometimes, mm. which is super cool. Um, so yeah, that's, I love that show. It's probably one of my favorite sitcoms. Um, yeah. Is that still on? Is believe it or not? Yes. How? They, How is they, it still going? <laughs> it's funny because like I think they're on like season fourteen or something now. Um, I it's it's always funny because I always watch the whole season when I'm when I'll be at like uh, like over holidays or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be like at my parents and my parents have my sister's my sister has a Hulu account. That's how I watch it. Um, and uh, I keep asking her for the information, but she hasn't given it to me yet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but I always just like binge watch the whole season, yeah. like when I'm there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I love I love that show. It's very good. And yeah, like I said, yeah, they're like 14 seasons in. They're on FXX now, and I think there's an interview with uh, Charlie uh, Charlie Day, and he says. Um, he says, yeah, I don't think FX even knows that we're still on air. <laughs> I don't even think they know. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about right. But yeah. So much fun talking to Steven over these past two episodes. He's now back in Florida getting his career going, and I wish him the best going forward. I look forward to catching up with him in the new future, even if it's just to sing more John Bonham drum solos. As alluded to in the opening, this week's rave is a particularly famous art exhibit I was able to see in person a week or so ago. Over the past couple of weeks, I've been incredibly fortunate to get to travel out of the country, with my wife and friends to a conference in her field, which was the International Communication Association's annual conference, this time in Paris, France, which coincided with other travels that I've just returned from. While getting to see a lot of great sites in Paris, among them the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, Luxembourg Gardens, the Tuileries, the Musée d'Orsay, and Versailles, my favorite of all of those may have been getting to see the Musée Léongerie, which contains Claude Monet's water lilies. It's a tremendous sight to see for many reasons. 
I'm fairly certain I've said this before on the podcast, and I've definitely said as much in my music history classes I've taught over the years. It's one thing to see an internet photo or a textbook photo of a great piece of art, but entirely another thing to see these works in person. In the museum, Monet's water lilies take up two large oval-shaped rooms and wrap around you as you walk into these separate spaces. So the sheer size of them are immediately impressive. But what really makes you take your time to enjoy them are the chances to see them from various distances near and far. As an example, you just take in the art once you get into the room, and that's your way of getting started. Then you could do something like sit down and just stare at them for a while. And then you see something. So you walk up close and you start seeing small flowers or specific colorations or shadows, whatever it is. And you can then see the brush strokes. Okay, already impressive. Then you look over to the other side that you just saw from a further distance and you've already looked at a this part of the water lilies, and something else catches your eye you missed the first time. Could be a different flower, a tree, whatever. You go back and investigate that. Rinse and repeat. That opportunity to continuously find new items, colorations, shadings, was really what took my appreciation of Monet's water lilies to the next level. Like a great work of classical music, The best in the visual art field allow you to discover layers upon layers of new material each time you see or each time you hear. And it just continued like that for a long time. So the next time you find yourself in Paris, France, even if it's the first time, make sure to get out to the art museums and see some of the best artwork in the world, including Monet's water lilies. Or you know what? Since things have been opening up more recently, you get a chance to travel, take it. It will be incredibly worth it. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations if you're on facebook like the page pete's percussion podcast i will be posting a lot of photos from my trip there so check that out as i do that on a regular basis but you can find me there on instagram and twitter at pete zambito or by email at petesperkpod at gmail.com and i'll catch you next time where i start giving you my conversations with another of mizzou's graduate students Until then.